Let's open our Bibles to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Probably this is a very controversial chapter. I know it is among many people today, but we're going to try to just go down through it and look at it as clearly and plainly as possible. I think in doing so, we'll see that a lot of things that are professed, especially about tongues, this is a chapter on tongues, that uh, a lot of it is not what people think it is today. In fact, we showed you in the last chapter that among the gifts of the early church, if you look in the last chapter, the 13th chapter, verse 8, it shows that there will be a time, there would be a time, come a time in the church that tongues would cease as far as a gift of the church, as well as other things that would cease. But it was still in effect, and there were still the gifts of tongue in the, tongues in the uh, Corinthian church, but it was fast fading away so that Paul puts down in the 14th chapter some regulations. But if you look in the 13th chapter, verse 8, it says, Charity or love never faileth. Now, love will always be, and it will never fail under any circumstances. The word charity here always means love. But whether there be prophecies, that is, prophecies as a gift of the early church, they shall fail. Whether they be tongues, they shall cease. That means stop, doesn't it? That means quit. That means no more. And whether they be knowledge, and this is the special gift of knowledge, of knowing the future. Uh, knowledge, not that we learn, but knowledge as a special gift, it shall vanish away. And so we find that some things would cease to be. And then in the 13th verse of the same chapter, if you look down the last part, it says, and now abideth, Paul says, there are some things that are going to abide. He says, faith and hope, and they will abide until uh, we reach uh, the heavenly shores, until we reach eternity. And now abideth faith and hope, faith, hope, and charity, or love, these three. But the greatest of these is charity. Love will always be. And the greatest of all is love. So, and we expounded on the last lesson, the thought of, of love in the 13th chapter. Now then, uh, Paul tells us in the 14th chapter, verse 1, follow after love. Since it abides and since it never fails and since it's the greatest of all the gifts, he says, follow after this. Follow after that above all things. And desire spiritual gifts. Desire to be spiritual. If you'll notice the word gifts is in italics. Sometimes it means desire spirituals. But of course the word gifts here, uh, being in italics, was not in the original. That's what you find when you find a word that is, is in italics in the King James Version of the Bible, it means that it was not in the original Greek language or the Hebrew in the Old Testament. So that the translators were honest enough to say this is not a divinely inspired word, but it may help clarify the meaning of the verse. And sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't have as good a meaning even with the added word that they put in. And the added word is confessed by the interpreters that it is not 
uh, divinely inspired. That's what it means when you see in italicized words. In fact, if you'll notice when we study in this chapter that the word unknown concerning tongues is in italics every time. Because that makes it mean this, that there is really no such thing as an unknown tongue. There are known tongues. And when it says unknown, it means that it's a, a tongue, they put it in, to say that it was a tongue that was not known to the majority of the people, but it was a known language in other tongues, or known uh, tongue that existed. And that's the reason it's put in unknown, because it was unknown to most of the people. But it's a known tongue. So there's really no, uh, no such thing as an unknown tongue. The Bible speaks of other tongues and doesn't point out that uh, word in italics. It says other tongues, other than what you know. If I would say that there's a Spanish fellow comes in here and a, and a Frenchman and they speak in other tongues, in their tongue, that would be unknown to me, but it would be other tongues. It would be in their language. Now then notice in verse 1 it says, Follow after charity and desire spiritual gifts, but rather that you may prophesy. Of those spiritual gifts in the early church, prophecy, whether it be in the form of preaching or even divine, as a divine gift to predict uh, something of the future, would be spoken in a tongue that people could understand and was rather preferred than someone speaking in a language that no one knew anything about, especially if no one was there to interpret the language. You and I have heard many times, I'm sure you have, I, I think it's uh, evident enough on television where you'd hear Billy Graham preaching in China or somewhere and some fellow standing up there and he'd preach in English and this fellow would repeat everything, every sentence, every phrase. Well, there was an interpreter to that language that was being spoken. And, and that's what is necessary in order for the people to be edified and for in order for anyone to understand it. Otherwise, you just as well go home if you don't understand what's going on. And that's what Paul was talking about when he was trying to correct the Corinthians who were trying to uh, uh, feel and claim that the gift of tongues was above everything else and they wanted this more than anything else. And so there was a lot of misunderstanding about it. And they would speak without an interpreter and some of them would possibly even try to imitate uh, the languages of other people because there's an indication here that sometimes they didn't really know what they were saying themselves as well as anyone else. Look in verse 2. It says, For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue, and if you'll notice the word unknown is in italics, isn't it? Okay, that means that he that speaketh in an language, in a tongue, in a language, speaketh not unto men but unto God. In other words, if it's not known to to all that are there, if it's not the common language of the people that are seated and that are listening, then he cannot be speaking to anyone but himself and to God. For no man understandeth him. How can you understand it? Howbeit in the Spirit he speaketh mysteries. It's all mysterious to the next fellow because he cannot understand that language. But he that prophesies speaketh unto men to edification and exhortation and comfort. The gift of the early church word prophesy here, as it has to do with prophesying of the future, there were early prophets in, in, in the days of the apostles that prophesied of future things, 
But this gave way to the to what we know now as modern preaching, to the preaching of the word. Then it was a gift because uh, the the New Testament was being made up. There were still some things that had not been experienced in the early church, and as these were fulfilled, and as the apostles passed off the scene, so did many of these gifts pass out of the scene and off the scene. Now, I'm sure that I'm going to find many that do not agree to that, but nevertheless, I believe that the Bible teaches here what abides and what is going to, to cease to be. It says, whether there be tongues, they shall cease, whether there be prophecies, they shall fail, whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. And that knowledge as far as knowing the future. But the knowledge that we learn, we've studied to show ourselves approved unto God, this knowledge remains. And so does it now, is it now true in verse 13 of the last chapter that now abides faith and hope and charity? These three, they, they remain, but the greatest of these is charity. Now then in chapter 14, verse 4, he that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifieth himself, but he that prophesieth edifieth the church. The one that speaks to where people can understand it, he edifies the church. He builds up the church. If I was up here uh, tonight speaking in another language, it wouldn't do you a bit of good. It wouldn't profit. It would be useless. wouldn't do you a bit of good, would it? You might say, well, I don't know a thing that fellow's saying. I don't have any idea what he's talking about. He may be praying to God. He may be trying to tell me something, but I can't understand it. And so a man that speaks in a language, a foreign language, a language that you don't understand, even if he does it by a special gift, doesn't profit you anything. In fact, we're, we're told and we're taught that as far as the gifts are concerned, that this was the least of all the gifts of the, of the early church. And it was given for a sign, we'll read that in this chapter, for the unbelievers, as on the day of Pentecost, so that God was speaking to all these nations uh, in a language that they could understand by one person or two, Peter and the others that stood up, whoever they were that spoke, Peter among the chief of the spokesmen of that day, or the spokesman, he, he was the one that was speaking, and they all understood, the Bible says, in their own language, wherein they were born. They understood exactly what Peter was saying. So, in that sense, God gave the gift for the people to understand, though all the ones that were speaking were Galileans, and yet they heard every man in their own tongue. Sixteen different nations there, or dialects, we might say, because they were not really nations different from different places, but would be like the various dialects. And they all heard in their own language wherein they were born. But here he says in verse 4, he that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifieth himself, but he that prophesieth edifieth the church. And again, note every time that it says unknown, it, it is in italics, which you could very well leave out. He that speaketh in a tongue or a language, and it simply indicates that it was a language not known to the bulk or the majority of the church. But the man that prophesies edifies the church. In verse 5, he says, I would that y'all spake with tongues, but rather that you prophesied. He said, I'd rather you'd prophesy. For greater is he that prophesies than he that speaketh with tongues. Except he interpret. If a man can interpret it, or if there's someone else there that can interpret it, that the church may receive edifying. 
if anything goes on in the church and the church cannot receive edifying by it, it is of no value. It is of little value to anyone. Maybe the person that's speaking. Maybe he can uh, be edified as far as edifying himself because he can be praying to God and speaking in his heart uh, to God. But it wouldn't edify the church a bit. In verse 6, Now, brethren, if I come unto you, speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you? Except I shall speak to you either by revelation or by knowledge or by prophesying or by doctrine. In other words, if I come speaking in a language that uh, has to be interpreted to you, I must come with a message that would be a, a revelation to you or add some knowledge or prophesying or teach you, teach you some spiritual truth. And if I didn't do this, it wouldn't do any good. It says in verse 7, And even things without life giving sound, whether pipe or harp, except they give a distinction in the sounds, how shall it be known what is piped or harp? We might just take the piano, for instance. Anyone, I could get up here and just start banging on the keys of the piano. It wouldn't mean a thing to you unless I had some note or tune, unless there was some part of the system of music involved in what I was doing. You'd say, my, that sounds like a bunch of whatever. You might have a lot of names for it. It wouldn't mean anything, would it? It'd just be a noise. And things without life giving sound, unless they have a distinction, unless you hit certain notes and they're in harmony with other notes and they spell out a tune that uh, to your ears gives you some understanding of what the song is about. That's why that when someone plays the piano, they ought to. you need people that will play it according to the words that you know to be in a song. And when they do, you understand there's a message coming through that song. And if there's not, it doesn't mean anything uh, to you. If there's not a message, if you can't detect words connected with that music, it, it doesn't amount to very much. And so it's necessary that you understand. How shall it be known what is piped or harped? It says in verse 8, For if the trumpet give an uncertain sound, who shall prepare himself to battle? As they used to sound the, the trumpet, and they'd sound one sound to, to prepare for battle, another one to charge in the battle, maybe another one to retreat. We know that in the Army, Navy, in armed services, Marine Corps, and other branches of service, they sound reveille. They sound the taps. You know, when it's time to turn the lights out and go to sleep, go to bed. You know when it's time to get up? And so they sound those various things. And you know the meaning. You know what it means when they sound them. Otherwise, a fellow could just blow on the trumpet and it wouldn't mean a thing, would it? wouldn't mean anything to you. So likewise. Now then, Paul takes this and shows it. Shows us what he means about uttering by the tongue. So likewise ye, except ye utter by the tongue. And he's speaking of the the tongue in the mouth now, not the language. Utter by the tongue, words easy to be understood. You have to speak in a language that people can understand. And you have to speak them with this mouth that has a tongue uh, within it. How shall it be known what is spoken? For you sh shall speak into the air. You're just like one that's speaking into the air. It's just gone. There are, it may be, so many kinds of voices in the world, and none of them is without signification. 
of all the voices there are in the world, the voices of even animals, he goes on down and we'll find out, he even mentions, mentions various uh, other things other than the tongues of men. But let's notice in verse 11. Therefore, if I know not the meaning of the voice, I shall be unto him that speaketh a barbarian, and he that speaketh shall be a barbarian unto me. Now, the barbarian doesn't mean, in the sense we use it today, maybe as a an heathen man that is a barbarian. We might use it strongly and uh, classify it with a man that's violent, a man that is certainly uh, one that uh, would do us harm. But in this case, it means a foreigner. It means someone that you don't understand his language, and he doesn't understand your language. You would be... You would have a barrier there because of the lack of communication. He said in verse 12, Even so ye, for as much as ye are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek that ye may excel to the edifying of the church. Now look. Seek that ye may excel to the edifying of the church. Since all of you are desirous of spiritual gifts, what are you to seek? The experience of unknown tongues, as most people are looking for today in the so-called churches that have the tongues movements, they're looking for that above anything else. Just have that gift above everything. But Paul says, if you're going to seek anything of a spiritual gift, seek that you may excel to the edifying of the church. You seek something that you can preach or teach to the people that the whole church will be edified by. So if it's something to be sought, Paul didn't uh, put any priority on it, even in the early church and in the church here at Corinth where in the gift was just about to pass off the scene as far as the gift of tongues was concerned. Seek that ye may excel to the edifying of the church. Wherefore, let him that speaketh in an unknown tongue pray that he may interpret. If he cannot interpret, and if no one else can interpret it, certainly it would not edify the church. And if he could speak in another language, something foreign to the whole body of believers that are then present, if he cannot interpret, let the man pray that he can interpret and tell what he says in language that other people can understand. For if he pray in an unknown tongue, if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth, but my understanding is unfruitful. There's no understanding with it. So Paul says, what is it then? He asked the question. What is it then? I will pray with the spirit and I will pray with understanding also. Even when I pray, Paul says, I'm going to pray in a language that I can understand, that others can understand. I'm not even going to pray in, a, in a, another tongue in the midst of people that do not understand that tongue. If you look over in the book of Acts, you remember, I believe it was in the 26th chapter of Acts where Paul beckoned with his hand and they, they heard that he uh, spake in the Hebrew tongue. If you remember, he got their attention. And it meant something especially to the Jews that, that he would speak in their own language. I believe that's what you find in the 26th chapter of Acts. But various times he would beckon with his hand and he'd point out he would speak in a language that was not customary. The Greek language was the known language of the day. But they saw that he spake in the Hebrew tongue. Therefore, the Jews set up and, and listened because it was their own native Old Testament language. And they understood it. 
as well as the Greek, the natural, common language of the day. But he wanted them to especially know that it was for them. So, uh, Paul says, if I pray, I will pray with the Spirit, and I will pray with understanding also. I will sing with the Spirit, and I will sing with understanding also. We have someone singing. They sing in words that we can understand. And even those, sometimes you'll see, and you've seen those little Chinese, I believe it is, that, that sing a song in, in Chinese, and then they turn around and sing it in English. I've seen that on, the, I believe it was Billy Graham's program again. But anyway, you'll see them, and they're singing in their own language, but then they won't leave it there. That's their native tongue. They'll turn around and sing it again in the English language, especially if we're the ones that's listening to it. So we'll know what they were singing in the other language. So he says, I will sing with the Spirit, and I will sing with understanding also. Else when thou shalt bless with the Spirit, how shall he that occupieth the room of the unlearned say amen at thy giving of thanks? If you're going to pray with the Spirit, how is a man going to, to enter into that same thanksgiving? How is he going to say amen at your giving of thanks? How is he going to approve of it or disapprove of it seeing he understandeth not what thou sayest won't do a bit of good will even if you're praying it does not edify someone for thou verily givest thanks well but the other is not edified and he said that whatever you do in verse 12 that you may excel to the edifying of the church whatever it is the other is not edified verse 17 Paul says, I thank my God I speak with tongues more than y'all. Now then, actually, this word tongues here that Paul is speaking of is in a tongue more than y'all or in a foreign language. It's really in the singular. Paul is saying, I thank my God I speak in a tongue, in a foreign tongue, more than all of you, because he knew other languages. Yet in the church, I had rather speak five words with my understanding. Though I know other languages, Paul could have spoken in any, in several languages. He says, I'd rather in the church speak five words with my understanding, that by my voice I might teach others also, than ten thousand words in an unknown tongue, in a foreign tongue. He said, I'd rather speak five words. Paul would not wish to speak at all 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. But he was just showing us a comparison. In other words, he's saying it's 2,000 times better. Look, five words to, to 10,000 words. It's 2,000 times better to speak where men can understand it. That's what Paul is saying. He's using this to show how much better it is to speak with understanding than to speak in some tongue or language that no one understands. Brethren, be not children in understanding. Howbeit in malice be ye children, but in understanding be men. What is he saying? He's saying this baby gift of tongues in the church is the least of all. And he says, if you're going to be children, he says, be children in malice, but not children in understanding. Don't go back and desire to speak in, in tongues in order uh, that you might remain children 
in understanding. You're not going to grow in understanding if you if you always uh, desire this infant or baby gift of the church. You're not going to grow in He says, if you're going to be children in anything, be children in malice, and then maybe you'll grow out of that too. But in understanding, he says, be ye men. In understanding, speak where people can understand it and where they'll know what you're saying. Be ye men. Grow up and grow out of that. Grow out of that in the in the Corinthian church. Grow out of it as far as even uh, having it and desiring it as a gift. Grow completely out of it. Grow up to understanding. Be men in this fashion. He tells us in the book of Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 14 that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. Even as he begins to teach the Word, Paul says, I still do not want you to remain children as far as the teachings of God is concerned. He says, be not any more children tossed to and fro by and carried about by every wind of doctrine by the slight of men uh, and cunning craftiness whereby they lie and wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things which is the head, even Christ. What's he saying here? Don't follow after false teaching. Do not be children anymore that you don't know what you believe or where you stand so that you'll be tossed to and fro by the doctrines or teachings of men, especially those that are lying in wait to deceive you. False doctrine, false teaching. He says, don't be children like that anymore. Paul wanted the Ephesians to grow up and to not be in danger of being tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. What does it mean? Every kind of teaching that blows along. You know, that's what happens to a lot of folks that are not grounded in the Word. The first teaching that comes along, it can be as far from the truth and far from the Word and go under the guise of Christendom and go under the guise of of Bible teaching. And they'll say, yes, well, we teach the Bible. But what do you teach about the Bible? It better be in harmony with all of the Word of God. Some teach the Bible and don't believe there's a hell. Some teach the Bible and don't believe there's a heaven. Some teach the Bible and deny the deity of Christ. Some teach the Bible and deny the blood atonement of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's not teaching the Bible, is it? That's tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine by the slight of men. And they all profess to teach it, but they better teach it in harmony as it is one whole truth. And that's where you find the difference. And Paul says, don't be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine by the slight of men. So he says here, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 20, Brethren, be not children in understanding. Look at it quickly. Be not children in understanding. Howbeit in malice be you children, but in understanding be men. He says in verse 21, In the law it is written, With men of other tongues. Look at that in your Bible. It doesn't say unknown tongues here, does it? Look at it carefully. With men of other tongues. And this word is not in italics, is it? Because this is the way it was written. In the Old Testament, Isaiah prophesied that with men of other tongues and other lips will I speak unto this people. And God had done that. And he says, and yet they will not hear me, saith the Lord. He shows how little good it did even when he prophesied that it would happen. They still would not listen. Even though he gave this for a sign to the unbeliever that he could believe. They, they still would not listen. 
In verse 22 it says, Wherefore, tongues are for a sign. Not to them that believe. Why are people so hip on trying to get tongues in, the mo- in among those that believe when the Bible says that they're not a, they're a sign not for those that believe, but for them, to them that believe not. You see, that's why they, that God gave the gift of tongues on the day of Pentecost. And Peter spoke in, in a language that was known to all the languages round about. They heard every man in his own language wherein he was born. And that gift of tongues was given then so that through that, that miracle of the speaking of tongues, different than, you might say, the baby gift in the early church, but it went out in, to, to the understanding of all people, and it was for a sign that God was doing something. And they heard the message, the wonderful works of God, it says in Acts chapter 2. We do hear them speak in our own tongue, our own language, the wonderful works of God. And it was for a sign for all those unbelieving Jews of that day and all those unbelieving people that God was, that Jesus had ascended to the right hand of God and that God was pouring out His Spirit. And many of them did believe in that sign at that particular time. But many of course, did not. It says, to them that believe not. But prophesying serveth not for them that believe, uh, believe not, but for them which believe. What does prophesying or preaching serve for? It serves for those that believe. That's what, that's how it does good. It does good to those that will believe. It says in verse 23, if therefore the whole church be come together in one place, and all speak with tongues, that is, other languages than known by the whole body there. And there come in those that are unlearned or unbelievers. Will they not say that you're mad? Suppose you came into a church and you had three or four people or half a dozen people. And by the way, here it indicates that they were having much confusion, that all of them were speaking when they ought not to speak but one or two. Uh, in the whole service, and that one at a time. You know, you can't hear about five people speaking at once. You don't know what any of them say. So, it says, if they're coming to church, uh, if, if therefore the whole church be come together in one place, and all speak with tongues, and there come in those that are unlearned or unbelievers, will they not say that you're mad? They'll say, these people are all speaking in foreign languages. I don't know what they're saying. I don't know what they're talking about. I just wonder if I should have come to this meeting. They're all, they're either speaking in uh, one man's language or another. All foreign to me. I don't understand it. But if all prophesy, look here, and there come in one that believeth not, or one unlearned, maybe one hasn't been taught, or maybe one that hasn't believed yet, he is convinced of all. Through what? Through simple understanding preaching through something that's spoken in a language that he can understand. He is convinced of all. He is judged of all. And thus all are the secrets of his heart made manifest. And so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is in you of a truth. It says, God's in this. I can hear what they're saying. I hear what this preacher's saying. I know what he means by it. I understand. I, I'm now being taught the gospel. I'm now being taught what I should do. And I know that I'm a sinner, and I'm, I'm sorry that I'm a sinner, and I, I realize he's telling me that Jesus died for my sins. I repent of my sins and believe the message, and I, I want to be saved. He reports that God is in you of the truth. 
wouldn't do any good if he came in and you couldn't, he couldn't understand the thing you were saying. So in verse 26 now. How is it then, brethren? And it seems this was what was happening in the church at Corinth. And Paul asked the question. He says, how is it then, brethren, when you come together, every one of you has a psalm, hath a doctrine, you have a, a teaching you want to teach, hath a tongue, hath a revelation, hath an interpretation. It seems that there were so many different things happening. He says, how is it that this happens? Let all things be done unto edify. Paul is as much as saying that all of this, if you have a revelation and you have a psalm and you have a doctrine and you mix it all together and speak it in an unknown tongue or speak where no man understands what's going on, then what good is it going to do? There won't be anything but confusion. And Paul said, let all things be done unto edifying. If any man speak in an unknown tongue, let it be by two or at the most by three. What he's saying, in any one service, don't have but one or but two or three, the most of them that speak would be three. And that by course, that would mean one at a time in his turn. One standing up and preaching and another one interpreting that. And let one interpret, he says. So if a man is preaching in another language, if he's prophesying in another language, if he has a revelation in another language or a doctrine in another language, and he's trying to edify the church by it, he must have someone that will interpret what he what has been revealed to him. And in the early church, the, that, that special revelation was given. That special interpretation was given. A special teaching was given. Now then, all the divine inspiration we have is right here between these two black covers. That's all of it. Someone says, today I'm inspired. You may be enthused. You may be encouraged. God may be uh, leading you by the Holy Spirit. He may be guiding you into what you need to preach. You may have the anointing of the Holy Spirit of God, but you don't have inspiration. In the sense that the Bible is divinely inspired. You don't have that. That was here. We, we become inspired by one another and we use the word rather loosely, but not divine inspiration. You say, well, it's, it's being led by the Holy Spirit. Yes, but you're not given a new revelation where you can write it down and say this equals this because it doesn't. If you have anything that equals this, it is this. It is the Word of God. See? Man doesn't have anything that equals that if it's not that. The Word of God is God's complete revelation to us, and that's what He intends for us to have, to teach and to preach and to go by. But He says in verse 27, look back at it quickly again. We have to hurry. Our time's getting away. It says, If any man speak in an unknown tongue, let it be by two or at the most three. And that by course, that means one at a time, and let one interpret. But if there be no interpreter, let him keep silence in the church. If there be no interpreter, let him keep silence in the church. You know what that would mean today? If that gift was still possessed, that if there was no one to stand up and interpret the, the gift of that tongue, even though I've tried to show you where I believe that the Scripture teaches that it was a 
it was a gift in the infant church, and that really, biblically, it has ceased to be as such. Now, I know the claims of all around about you. Don't misunderstand me. I'm as familiar with them as, as most. And I'm not going to make excuse for what they do or try to interpret what they do. I'm just trying to tell you what I believe the Bible teaches right here. But if you were to go by this verse, as Paul instructs us, he says, if there be no interpreter, let him keep silence in the church, then you would never hear a foreign language in a spiritual church that was not given an interpretation. You'd never hear it. If any man got up to speak in another language and there was no interpreter, he would be completely out of order, according to this verse of Scripture. He wouldn't, he's not even supposed to say anything. And let him speak to himself and to God. Let him just whisper it out to himself and to God if he wants to pray in that tongue, that language. And he says, let the, let the prophets speak two or three and let the other judge. In the early churches, there was a gift of discernment. I believe that today men that are led of the Holy Spirit can discern as far as the things, whether they be true or not. That's why John tells us in, the, in his epistles, he says, try the spirits, whether they be of God. In other words, every Christian is to try to discern whether what he hears, try to try it and test it and see if it's true or not. And this one that was to judge was if the prophets, he says, let the prophets speak two or three and let the other judge. Let him discern what is being spoken. If it's really from God, if it's uh, by the Spirit of God. Look, let's hurry. We're not going to have too much time. If anything be revealed to another that sitteth by, let the first hold his peace. You see, every fellow wasn't supposed to get up and speak at the same time. He says, for you may all prophesy one by one that all may learn and all may be comforted. And he says, and the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. I've heard a lot of People try to explain that verse and interpret that verse. But I believe that underlying whatever may be found in this verse, that there's the thought here at least that if anything is contrary to the prophetic word, to the written word, that it can be tested by it. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. Now look, in verse 33... The reason, for God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all churches of the saints. God is not going to cause confusion. He's not going to cause confusion as far as talking is concerned, and he's certainly not going to cause confusion as far as doctrine is concerned, and that's why the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. It will be in harmony with the revealed word of God and the prophetic word of God. And then he says in verse 34, Let your women keep silence in the churches, for it is not permitted unto them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law. You know, in the modern churches today, and this is written especially concerning the, the things that we've been talking about, prophesying and gifts, uh, the gift of tongues and speaking in tongues. If the men were not to speak unless someone interpreted and it says here, let your women keep silence in the churches. Did you know most of the so-called tongue speakers today are women? They're the ones that get up and speak in the church. And Paul says, let the women keep silence in the churches. 
Now, I said the most of them. I didn't say all of them. Now, look. For it is not permitted to them to speak. It doesn't mean here that uh, women do not have a right to speak in some respects, in certain conditions, under certain circumstances in the church. Because we know that there are many scriptures that show the, the woman's place in the service of God and how Paul praised that place that they were to, to fill. But in all churches, the Bible says, and Paul says, in writing to Timothy, that the woman shall not worship authority over the man. I suffer not a woman to teach, but to be in subjection. And that word teach means preach as well. You say, well, preacher, there's a lot of women preachers. Well, that's their business if they can get along with it. But I don't believe God intended it. The Bible doesn't teach it. And yet they do it. Because the Bible teaches that the woman is to have a different place. And her place, it doesn't mean just because she's not supposed to do that, that she's not, that she doesn't have a, an elevated place and a wonderful place of service in the things of God. It just means that God has made a difference between men and women. And God has put each in our place. And according to His choice, He has put certain uh, people in certain places, and that's where they're supposed to be and what they're supposed to fulfill. And we find that many go beyond that. Wouldn't you find it hard for a woman to take that verse of Scripture as a text that stands behind the pulpit and, and say, I'm going to preach from uh, Paul's writing here to Timothy and say, where Paul said, I suffer not a woman to preach, nor to usher authority over the man and stand behind the pulpit and preach that sermon? I don't think she'd have very much success, do you? be pretty hard for her to stand behind there and take that as a text and try to expound it. And yet you have them doing other things. Well, anyway, and no disrespect to any woman, God forbid, but the Bible has placed us all in a place of service, and the woman's special place of service is just as important and highly valued and sometimes excels above that of others. And every person in their own place, fulfilling God's will in their lives, is just as important as the next fellow, man or woman, boy or girl, whoever they may be. But this is God's plan and God's way. And if they will learn anything, let them ask their, their husbands at home. For it is a shame for women to speak in the church. Some might have objected there, the church of Corinth. And Paul says, what? He knew this would bring an objection. He says, what? Question. Came the word of God uh, out from you or came it in unto you only? Are you the only ones that think you have the word he's saying to this Corinthian church? And look what he says. If any man think himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things that I write unto you are the commandments of the Lord. Paul says, this is what God commands. But if any man be ignorant, let him be ignorant. Wherefore, brethren, covet to prophesy and forbid not to speak with tongues. Let all things be done decently and in order. Verse 37, he says, If any man think himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things that I write unto you are the commandments of the Lord. If these at Corinth thought that Paul was laying down the law concerning these gifts a little bit too strong, he says this, If you think you're a prophet or you think you're spiritual, let me remind you that the things that I write unto you are the commandments of the Lord. 